0: Welcome to the Teaching History, Politics and Stuff podcast. Thank you for being here. I'm your host, Elizabeth Evans. I'm completely passionate about curriculum, history, the social sciences, and all the other things in between. I love helping teachers by giving strategies to make lesson planning easier and resources to be your best self. I'm a National Board Certified Social Studies teacher with over 18 years of experience. I've met some incredible people in my life Who will have a lot to share, and I cannot wait to have them as guests on my podcast. As James Madison once said, the advancement and diffusion of knowledge is the only guardian of true liberty. Thanks for joining me today. Let's learn. Today, we are talking about something that I think is really important as it relates to education as a whole. Um, and we're very lucky to have an expert who also happens to be my very best friend in the whole wide world. So I want to introduce my guest today. My guest today is Becky Crum. She has multiple degrees, but the degree that we're really focusing on the topic we're really focusing on, um, is her master's in social work. So I'm going to let you, Becky, introduce yourself. Um, and then we'll kind of start talking about stress, secondary trauma, and all of that stuff.
1: Sounds great. I'm I'm Becky Crum. Um, I have a master's in counseling and also a master's in social work. Um, I have a background both in behavioral health, working with adolescents and treatment, and then also primarily social work in the child welfare realm. And there's a lot of crossover between child welfare and education. We often, while we do, serve the same populations because our focus is on children as well as as educators in uh, K through twelve, awesome. So we have lots to talk about today. But the first thing
0: I kind of want to address is stress, um, because education is very stressful. Your job is very stressful. Yes. Why does stress? Why does stress matter? Why should we care about that?
1: Well, I think it's. Fu- I think feelings as a whole are funny, especially to Americans, because somehow we've made feelings, especially stress, a competition. Right. Um, is we'll say, oh, they think they're stressed. They don't even know what stress means. When, when really, I think it's important to define stress and, and stress is an emotion and a feeling just like anything else. So if you feel stressed, then you are. That is your experience. That is your feeling. And so we have a tendency to minimize it um, or say this isn't that bad and we shouldn't do that. So I think that's the first thing. And we know that education... Is, is an incredibly stressful job. Um, and that's okay. It's okay to have stress and to be stressed, but then you gotta know what to do with it. Um, that's, that's why you should care. Because if you're feeling that way, then that is a real valid feeling. It only becomes problematic when you ignore it or don't do something about it.
0: So how do we know when stress becomes something more than just a passing like
1: feeling? Sure. Um, so stress, let's talk about what it, what it is, if if that's okay. And then I can talk about how and why it becomes bad. Um, so stress, just like every feeling is really a chemical release in your body. Mm -hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, stress and excitement are the exact same thing in your body. Really? Yeah. So if you're stressed or you're excited, it's the same thing. Um, So what it is when you're stressed, it's really, it's a stress response. It's that fight or flight or freeze response that your body goes through. So whether it's stress or excitement, you're going on a first date, you have an event you're really looking forward to those butterflies in your stomach, that's a stress response. And so when you have a stress response, the amygdala in your brain um, is sending a response saying, Hey, I think we're in trouble here to your hypothalamus. And that triggers that fight or flight or freeze response. When that happens, your heart rate increases, your blood pressure increases, uh, your body produces adrenaline, your blood goes to your extremities, away from your heart, away from your digestive system, away from your reproductive organs to your extremities because you're getting ready to fight or or run away because there's a threat to you. Where that becomes a problem is because in this process, your body also releases cortisol. And if you have a repeated release of cortisol, that can do damage to your body. So you're talking about an increased risk of heart disease, an increased risk of uh, high blood pressure, an increased risk of diabetes, digestive issues, uh, sexual dysfunction. There's all kinds of health repercussions of not managing and dealing with your stress because of the havoc that cortisol can release, uh, wreaks on your body. And so, we talk about self care as sort of like a passing thing, but it really is super important to your well being that you practice self care and manage it um, daily and intentionally because of those potential health repercussions.
0: And we're not talking about like take a bubble bath every day or get your nails done. We're talking about really deeper. I mean, it's it. it it's
1: mental nutrition, essentially, right? Like, yeah, whatever absolutely. that looks like for you. Absolutely. And, and I don't have a magic answer for anybody as far as what your coping skill is. Um, nobody does. But it, I think that you bring up a great point in that we often say like, Oh, get go get a manicure, have a spa day, take a vacation, which is great. But social workers, educators, none of us are making the kind of money that we can go take lavish vacations and forget about (laughs) life on a regular basis. But really it's something that, that feeds your emotions, feeds your mind, feeds your soul. So you're talking about physical, emotional, and spiritual health intentionally and daily. So maybe it, maybe it is taking a bath. Um, Maybe it's reading a book or journaling or exercising or practicing mindful eating Um, It can be all kinds of things that don't have to cost a lot of money. The important is the routine to it. And also that it's a disconnection from the stress. And so sometimes it can be as simple as a ritual of disconnecting from your your job during the day to your life at home, which has become really important when so many of us are meeting uh, virtually or working from home or teaching from home, and you don't have a clear separation of This is my physical space at work and my physical space at home where that becomes, Mm -hmm. that separation becomes even more important.
0: And that's hard. I think it's important too overall, because I'm thinking about like I meditate every day I do yoga and sometimes it's like five minutes of yoga um, or I hop on my spin bike as a way to disconnect. But every day it's, feels like it has to be something different because every day my stress is, is different. Sometimes it's work stress or family stress or, you know, we're both moms. Like that's a very stressful thing too. Yes. Um, so that self-care is just whatever you need it to be Absolutely. because yeah, we sure are making the money to go to <laughs> all <wish>. the time. <laughs> I mean, even if we were though, I don't know, like it's a nice it's a nice break I know for me understanding my again this is my personal stress this is not saying this is the end all be here, be all but for me meditation and just sitting I don't have my phone my computer is not on there's nothing because then I start to notice things through the day like oh I've been sitting here for a while and I noticed that I'm wearing my shoulders as earmuffs I need yes. to take a break and it just gives me that because I'm I'm thinking about the times where I burnt out and I was so stressed that it made me sick. And so how, I mean, how does you talked about like the health issues that Mm -hmm. can happen? What happens when it just, I mean, it continues because I do think that sometimes people think stress is a pie. Yeah. So you can't have more than me because here is all the things I have. And some people wear their stress as a badge of honor And maybe it's age that now I'm like, that's not a badge of honor. That's not (laughs) fun at all. Um, I'm trying to like frame my question because what happens when you get caught in that cycle of stress?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, So I I think to your point, there are very few people who can wear stress as a badge of honor. Um, Mm -hmm. And typically it's stress that occurs in short incidental bursts. And a lot of those individuals are things like high performance athletes. Mm -hmm. So you think about that secret sauce for somebody just coming off of, uh, you you know, football season, not too long ago. And thinking about those things, you have somebody like Tom Brady, who has that incidental short-term stress, who uses the fight or flight to their advantage because their job that that's what is required of him Mm -hmm. is that the use of that adrenaline and cortisol in performance that's not the reality for most of us most of us aren't there being hit around by gigantic 250 pound 300 pound athletes where adrenaline is incredibly important to us most of us aren't um competing at the olympics and need that little bit of extra strength to push through so it becomes bad because of those health effects um you also use the word burnout when you were talking which Mm -hmm. is really what happens um if you don't manage your stress on a regular and repeated basis, you tend to move towards burnout. And then even further from that is something that we call compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you get burned out at your job. And we say, when we say burnout, we mean exhausted, physically, yes. emotionally, and it could be with that certain thing. So typically, burnout is applicable to whatever you're, you're burned out of. So you get burned out of your job. You certainly don't perform as well because you become apathetic to it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's an avoidance mechanism to avoid that stress response in your body. So you don't become as invested during the day as you need to because your body shuts off and says to protect myself, I need to stop caring about this. Mm -hmm. And it's not intentional. It's all it's all happening within you. It's not something that you consciously decide. Um, So it makes you perform worse at your job which none of us necessarily want to perform poorly at our job. And then it has a tendency to start to carry over into your personal life because your body doesn't know the difference between I'm stressed at school and I'm just stressed in life. And it's a a threat for me. So at the beginning, you can sort of isolate it and compartmentalize it. But as your body has more and more exposure to cortisol and your systems become more and more depleted it rolls over into personal world. So now I'm not just cranky with kids or cranky with my coworkers. Now I'm cranky in my home life and I'm cranky with my significant other, with my children, with my friends, with my family. Um, You start to lose interest in things that you once cared about. And that really is problematic. And we often don't see it because it is such a gradual burn. Um, it's not like a light switch where somebody can identify it and one day you're fine and one day you're not. it just slowly creeps in over time. and we have to work to live, not live to work, and that's problematic when it starts to affect you and your overall health and well-being and the people that you love and care about.
0: Well, and it's scary because I think about the times I burnt out like I didn't know until it was too late and you're you're trying to backtrack and you're trying to shift and you know, I have an autoimmune disease. So mine, mine shows up and my body is not Mm -hmm. all about that life. It is it. I had to learn a lot of different things because for me, it was, you either deal with the stress or you're going to get really sick. You'll have to stay home, which is going to make you more like this can just like become this big cycle. So how do we, how can we kind of correlate trauma and the stress response that you're talking about,
1: yeah. So that's good. Um, so compassion fatigue related to burnout is is more of a slow burn.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We also run the risk of something called uh, secondary traumatic stress, which is also very real um, for educators. So stress is more related, typically when we when we use the word stress, more related to your work. Routine work, your routine duties, the things that you're doing on an everyday basis, the things that you're taking on, um, post-secondary traumatic stress really mirrors PTSD, um, both in the way that it presents itself, the way that your body responds to it. Um, that was a change in some of the way that we diagnose individuals Not now is, is a correlation of PTSD symptoms can come from the secondary traumatic Uh, response and that happens and vicarious trauma happens because as educators or anybody who's working with with youth and young people and you're a helper in some capacity so teachers social workers police officers fire department um hospital workers nurses we we we're all helpers in some way um and when you're in the role of helper people tend to unrelease their burdens on you Mm -hmm. And we know that that happens. There's a very special connection between teachers and students Mm -hmm. and you become the trusted individual in their life. And so the worries and fears that they have at home and safety issues that they have at home are often brought to you. And so you may not be the individual experiencing it firsthand, um, But secondary trauma, secondary traumatic stress is the stress response, the trauma response that you have as a result of hearing and absorbing somebody else's trauma. So you can have a student come and talk to you during the day about problems they're having at home with neglect or abuse, uh, sexual assault, all different problems that we know are facing youth today. And they bring that to you and you can have the exact same visceral trauma response listening to that story and being the helper of that child as somebody going through that actual experience would have. Um, Really? Yes. And it could be, it could be incidental. So it Mm -hmm. could be one way and it's the same way that happens with PTSD as well. So it could be a one incidental story that somebody tells you that maybe it's just that horrific, or maybe it triggers something inside you from your own childhood that you thought was long buried it can also be an accumulation of those stresses and of those stories. Uh, so maybe one child coming to you is fine, but that repeated exposure over and over again, that same way that chronic stress can turn itself into vicarious or secondary trauma.
0: Mm-hmm. So what, I mean, cause I, I know that I definitely had issues with that because this is, these are the kids that keep you up at night, right? These are the yes. kids that, and, and you're talking about, these awful things happening and as teachers we're mandatory reporters uh-huh. but it's even things that are not necessarily something that require mandatory reporting you're just worried about you know their health or you've you've noticed these things these are the kids that keep you up at night that you know you can't shake because that's your job like i mean it's not your job change. to care about everybody but it becomes that because right. we're helpers and And again, you and I are moms. So we think of this like, I don't want my child going through this. And you have that kind of stuff. So is there a way that you can recognize that as a caregiver that like this is this is what I'm feeling? So it's
1: really the exact same diagnostic criteria that we use when diagnosing somebody with PTSD. So if you are living in a constant state of anxiety, and, and this is more than than your normal. So some yeah. people tend to be more anxious than others. And we're not yeah. talking about like a normal response, but really you you have anxiety and are anxious about things that you normally wouldn't be anxious or have anxiety about. Uh, the one that you brought up, that's a real thing. Negative intrusive thoughts, um, that audio self-talk, that play that's in your head and you just can't get it out. You just can't shake it. The things that wake you up at 2 AM or keep you awake mm-hmm. fatigue. So, God, I know I'm sleeping. I know I'm getting enough rest, which that's also incredibly important for your health is to make sure that you get enough sleep. But I'm just constantly tired and I can't get over it. Um, And again, it could be physical, emotional, or spiritual exhaustion. It could be all three. A decline in your physical health, which for somebody like you becomes very more Mm -hmm. obvious, but for somebody else, it could be like, I I don't really understand why I feel nauseous all the time. Now And there's no correlation to a specific health complaint. So maybe you've got heartburn, but it's not like a normal indigestion type thing. You didn't eat something spicy. You didn't eat something greasy or fatty. I just have heartburn all the time now and I don't have an ulcer. Um, it could be joints and aches and pains uh, from holding the tension in your muscles. Um, the other bad things are emotionally withdrawing from people. Um we're not talking about introvert versus extrovert. We're talking Mm -hmm. about the people who you normally love and turn to, um, that you no longer love and turn towards them. And more importantly, the people that you love and care for, you don't have that ability to love and care for them. Um, I think it's really important uh, to constantly self inventory. I also think it's really important that people who are helpers identify somebody in your life who knows your baseline, who can tell you when you're getting to that point. Um, So my husband, you'll listen to. Yes. And and you need to give them grace and permission to Mm -hmm. point it out to you. Um, So I, you know, I worked directly with clients for a long time and now I'm in more of a macro social worker type of role, like big picture Mm -hmm. type of role. But um, there's been times where I've had to help step in or fill in roles and work in a different way. And my husband knows he'll say, Hey, you're, you're doing that thing again. And that's all he has to say. And I know what that means. And he doesn't have to go in it and it's not picking apart my behavior or telling me about my inadequ inadequacies Mm -hmm. or where I'm failing. It's just, you're doing that thing again. Maybe you need to take a sick day or Mm -hmm. maybe you need to do something, um, It's important because sometimes it is such a slow burn, you don't recognize it in yourself. And so it's important that the people you love and trust can speak to you honestly and truthfully and and you recognize that it's because they care and love you.
0: Well, and because stress is not sustainable, like, and the, the stress that, I mean, because this is an education podcast, the stress that teachers face, especially this year, because things are constantly changing and and their plates are constantly being added to. Um, I mean, I'm really lucky that I have such an amazing support system because I used to take mental health days and just not care. I'm not checking my email. You'll all survive. Right. And I really tried to instill that in my department. Take a day. I don't care why you take it because it's actually not my business. Just make sure you have your lesson plans and we have a sub and if we don't have a sub, we'll figure it out because- it's either you take this day or in three months you're taking two weeks because you're so overwhelmed and sick or you're just, you know, Uh not a good uh, person. So once you get to that point, I mean, self-care is not going to fix it. (laughs)
1: Like, how does
0: that, how do, how do you get out? How do you get out of that cycle of, stress becomes compassion, fatigue becomes this, you know, post-secondary trauma, this a cycle that I think mm-hmm. a lot of educators unwillingly and unknowingly
1: get stuck in. So I think the first thing, and, and if I could, if I could wave a magic wand and, mm-hmm. and teach the world one thing, it would be that asking for help is not bad. <laughs> asking for help is a beautiful thing. Um, even all the way up to if you need to participate in therapy. Uh, I've done therapy. I've had a couple Mm -hmm. of therapists through the years. I think it's fantastic. I would love to give the world a therapist. I think it does have a negative connotation and some people don't want to do therapy. And if that's not your thing, it only works if you want it. If you want it there for you, someone can't make you go. So that's one of them. Um, But you can ask for help in other ways. And sometimes that's where we as colleagues become important uh, Uh to our coworkers as well, is it's important for us to uh, share that level of connection with our colleagues, make sure that we share and save space to share our experiences in a safe and supportive environment. It doesn't mean you're gonna spill your guts to everybody. but have those people that you lean on. We go through these unique experiences in our job. And sometimes people, like I said, my husband, he's an IT guy. He can't, re- he can't relate to it. He gets stressed, but it looks very different than, than what I go through in my experiences. Um, and quite frankly, he doesn't want to relate to it either.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: And the same thing that teachers are hearing. So creating that space, asking for help, asking to unpack check in with the person you're unpacking with first because they might be dealing with their own stuff and might not be ready for that. Um, I think it's important to have supportive leaders in your mm-hmm. environment. Um, so those of you who listening who aren't maybe in the classroom directly but are administrators or the people supporting educators is to make sure that you recognize and support people in their own health and well-being because you want them to perform the best. Um, If you're thinking about it from a supervisor role, I want my employees to show up and be their best every single day. So it behooves me to want them to take care of themselves. So there's those things that we can do for each other. I think therapy, asking for help. You said taking time off, I think is a great thing. Um, And sometimes it's just recognizing when this isn't serving you anymore. And not that people should just get up and quit. I think you want to put in the work and you want to try to get better um, and you want to try to get over things. But sometimes the role that you're in just no longer serves you. And if it's no longer serving you, then you're not there showing up every day for the people that you're supposed to be serving.
0: Well, and you're not showing up for yourself either. You're just stuck in this like miserable place. So, you know, for a teacher, it might look like, I'm going to try another school or another grade level, or I just don't necessarily know that I want to teach anymore. And I think Mm -hmm. that that is so hard because teaching is people's identity. Oh, yeah. Like I know I really struggled with that this year. I'm not in the classroom anymore. And that's, you know, what am I? All of this stuff, but it's such a asking for help. How does that work though when you're in an environment? that is very much nose to the grindstone. You all have to work. I, I don't want you taking days off because I mean, I think the most toxic thing I've ever heard is, well, the kids need you. Kids need you here. And mm. I always wanted to throw something when I was told that, or when it was said in a faculty meeting or whatever else. So how does that look when you don't? Because I know a lot of teachers do not have that support. They do not have collegial support. They do not have support from their supervisors to do these things.
1: And that's, that is so hard. I mean, you're talking about some change on some really big systemic levels, mm-hmm. which I think is problematic all through America, right? Like we give students perfect attendance days because oh, you showed I up every that. day. And yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of change that needs to happen. I think in American culture and Mm -hmm. that doesn't exist in other places where we need to give people time to nourish themselves so they can show Mm -hmm. up and be the best. Um, That's where I think that daily intentional practice of self-care becomes incredibly important to avoid getting to where you are and where sometimes the work has to come outside of, of your physical work environment. So it could be therapy Um, it could be all different kinds of things. When we're talking about secondary traumatic stress, we're talking about something on the same level of PTSD and it's, it's not going to go away. You've got to put the work into it and it didn't take overnight to get there. It's going to take a while to unpack. So I think you also have to give yourself grace and permission to put in the work to overcome it yourself. Um, it's not, you can't just wish yourself out of, of feelings when they get to that point. You can't just say, you know what, I'm going to choose my positive attitude and I'm going <laughs> to show up today. I mean, maybe that works at the beginning when we're just talking about regular and routine stress. But when you mm-hmm. get to that point where you're experiencing the compassion fatigue, you're experiencing secondary traumatic stress, it doesn't work that way. It, it's not going to go away on its own. Your brain is such an amazing organ that it really adapts and changes as a result of this. And if you're talking about changing brain science, you got to give yourself some time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is also the most important thing is grace and permission for yourself. And that's sometimes that's the hardest part is saying, I can't just fix this on my own.
0: Well, and I think for me, understanding that no is a complete sentence Or if I was asked to do something, okay, well, what are you taking off my plate? Because right now my plate's full and I'm not adding anything to it. If this is so important that you have to add it, where are you taking? That caught one of my supervisors by surprise. But it's because I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I am, I will never forget. I knew I was stressed because I had asked students um, after a project like, what was really good? What do we, you know, what can I consider? And they all said, you're so stressed out. And I was like, ew, the fact that it's spewing out into my classroom. Now I'm just not okay with it. Because I don't want, I don't want my daughter to think that I don't want my kids to be like, well, this is what teachers are like, they're stressed. Like, no, I want to enjoy my job. And so when I'd be asked to do things, sometimes it was like, no, that's actually not my job. So no, I can't do that. Because I'm, doing other things. Or I think part of helping profession is you become a people pleaser uh-huh. and you want to help people and you want to do all of these things, but creating those boundaries is, is helpful. And again, just giving yourself a little bit of a break to recognize I am at a point where something has to change.
1: Yes. There's, I was uh, looking up the name of the author cause I'm going to, I w- knew I was going to get it wrong. <laughs> There's a great book I had recommended to me that I read that I think really speaks to that no was a complete sentence, uh, concept. It's called essentialism. And the author is Greg McEwen. I'm probably, but we will link,
0: time. we will link it in the show notes.
1: Okay. Greg McEwen, And it really is that concept of, we all feel overcommitted, overloaded, overworked, overburdened. How do I get back to those fundamental things that serve me and allow me to serve others. And how do I say no without guilt or regret? Um, and, and really we're afraid that someone's going to be offended by us saying no. Um, and people really aren't people really they don't aren't care. No, they don't. No, they don't. We're more worried about their response and them thinking poorly of us. Um, where saying no or setting your limits or setting boundaries with people is completely appropriate and healthy and people have a tendency to respect them. Um, And I I think it's a great book for if you have trouble saying no and focusing on those things, it's a fantastic read.
0: I need to add that to my list because it is, you think sometimes you live in a fishbowl. So when you tell somebody, no, you're like, well, they're going to be mad at me forever. And they've moved on because they're like, well, I'll just find somebody else who will do it. Mm -hmm. And I remember one year, starting to take things off my plate and people being upset at me, like, well, what am I supposed to do? And I actually in my head one time was like, that's actually not my problem. I don't know what you're going to do. That's not my problem anymore. I can't commit this energy here. Right. So I don't know, <laughs> figure right. it out because I always have to figure my own stuff out. And that's, it's so hard. And that. I mean, this has been a really rough year. Like it is not fun to be in this pandemic or whatever. But one of the things that has taught me is where my legitimate boundaries are and how I can just be like, no, I can't do that. And I don't have to explain myself.
1: That's right. No, thank you. And we all have those people, whether it's colleagues or um, administrators or family um, (laughs) who aren't going to respect your boundaries, but I have set them. And I am sticking to them, um, and I'm going to utilize them for my own safe, my own safety, my own physical, my own emotional, mental well being. And once you set those boundaries and stick to them, people respect them. I had a I had an amazing boss. <clears throat> she retired, so unfortunately, she's not my boss anymore. But my boss now is amazing too, though. And she would tell me, get up and take your lunch break. Don't check your email on the weekend. Don't work unless you absolutely have to. And there are very few moments where you absolutely have to after quitting time. And she said once she had set that expectation for herself, it took a little while to get there with her, the person above her, but then it just became routine and people Mm -hmm. knew. Noon to one, she's gone for lunch and and I'm not going to reach her and she's taking care of herself. And once she set those boundaries and stuck to them, um, they kind of left her alone. And it was funny because there'd be this expectation that other people would work after five, but people didn't bother her. And it's because she set those boundaries. She stuck to them and nobody thought poorly of her. Everybody still thought she was amazing. She was productive during the day. She was focused. And I really think it's because she set herself as the priority. And so she was able to show up and perform and was a great employee and was happy and satisfied and did all the things that she was supposed to be because she set those boundaries. She made time for herself. She practiced practiced regular self-care and it made a difference.
0: It's so interesting because the company I work for now, like we get emails saying, hey, just remember today's, or like there's a holiday coming up be aware of that. You shouldn't be emailing. There should be no emails after our normal time. There shouldn't be emails on the week and having that. Or there are times where it's like, we've noticed you haven't taken any time off. You need to take a couple of days and just having that. And once you get comfortable with boundaries, it becomes so much easier Mm -hmm. because I have that in my calendar I block out half an hour in the morning to take my daughter to school and I block out my lunchtime because I noticed I wasn't eating lunch Yeah, because I just work through lunch. And then it would be like, it's two o'clock and I could probably eat everything in my refrigerator <laughs> right now. Right. And right. that's stressing me out because I still have more work to do, but I, ha- I get a thing on my computer that's like, you have lunch in 15 minutes, whether you're hungry or not, just step away. And in the classroom, I would never... And I know teachers do this. And if you do mm-hmm. this, you do you. I never let kids eat in my classroom. I needed, I also didn't have a prep hour for a, a couple of years. I just needed that half an hour. And there were times that I would tell colleagues, I don't want to eat with anybody today. I'm not mad. I just need a break. Right. My brain to, cause I still have an afternoon of teaching and no, you can't come in before the bell rings. After the bell rings, like at the end of the day, I had students coming in and out because that was fine, but you can't come until that bell rings because I need my morning to, we're with people all day long. Mm -hmm. And if you don't give yourself a break, you break. Yes, absolutely. And that, and, and unfortunately what happens is you break on somebody you love. So you, you yell at your husband, or I think one time I snapped at Emma and was like, what? And it was over something dumb and it was like i apologize because i was you didn't deserve that but yeah right. if you don't give a, yourself a break you will break and it becomes more of a problem because now yes, you have to deal with the fact that you've unloaded
1: on well and-, and we and we do that when we get home because that's our safe that's our safe place right mm-hmm. you where well, that's why students do it with you when they come to the classroom is because Oftentimes you are their safe place. Um, And so that's why they're unpacking with you. But then we do the same thing when we get home is, Mm -hmm. is those are our, those are our people. Those are our safe people. We know that they love us. They, we know that they're still going to show up tomorrow. Um, It could obviously take its toll on relationships, but, but yeah, that's, that's our natural tendency is to take it out on the people that we feel safe and secure with. If that need for safety is met, then that's where we're going to unpack it. Yeah. And that's hard. I mean, my
0: husband's a teacher and we deal with stress very, very differently, but just because we're both in education doesn't mean we always understand each other's stresses because we're different people and that's okay too. So is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that the people listening hear? I mean, there's already tons of amazing (laughs) nuggets in here, but is there anything else
1: we need to make sure that we address? I don't think so. I think it's just really recognizing the, the big takeaways are stress is real. And if you're experiencing it, it's it's a valid experience for you. Um, when you experience stress, this isn't, this isn't just a choice that you make in your brain. You can rephrase it and refocus it back to that idea of excitement and scared are the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. You can refocus it by trying to change Your self-talk, focusing on the positive rather than the negative. Um, You can do some things about it, kind of pumping yourself up in the morning, getting excited and using that stress energy for excitement rather than scared. Um, But it's a normal physical thing. And so just like any other normal physical thing that's happening in your body uh, on a negative end, you've got to address it. We wouldn't not address it. If you had diabetes, you would not address it. If you have a heart condition, you wouldn't not address it. And the same thing goes for our mental health. Your brain is an organ in your body, just like any other organ that needs to be taken care of. And so the only time that it becomes incredibly problematic is when you think that it's not a problem. You you gotta take care of it. You you would never, you would never in a million years say to somebody, Hey, I, I know that you need dialysis, but maybe just tell your kidneys to do a better job and and think some positive thoughts. You would never say that. Um, And the same thing goes for your brain health. And that is so important. And thank you.
0: I mean, you're my best friend and we talk all the time, but I learned (laughs) so many things in this and I think that educators, you know, I hope that they hear this and think I need to, you know, address some things and I need to, to make changes. And whatever those changes are, um, we will link a lot of things in show notes. If there is, you know, further questions that you have, I definitely, you know, invite you to email me. Um, but thank you. I really
1: appreciate you being on today. And I've got a a great free assessment tool that we can link to that people can take it if they're worried about, is this something Um, that I'm experiencing, there's some great free inventories that people can take and self-score.
0: Awesome. Well, we will link that in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Please comment, like, and share. Want to connect with me? Find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Liz Evans NBCT and online at teachingapgovernment.com. I'm so glad you joined us today.